0: Well, you lay your life down for another. We're going to talk about that today uh, from Ephesians chapter 5. And those of you who are um, of a scholarly bent or have read your Bible know that this passage is famously, supposedly about submission and authority in the context of marriage. But I want to assure you as we begin today that if you look at the passage closely, that what you'll see is that it isn't mostly about submission and authority at all. What it's really about is about the gospel. And it's about answering this question, now that we are fallen human beings who aren't living in a garden anymore, who are instead living in a fallen world full of thorns and thistles and blood and tears and toil and sweat and competition between husbands and wives instead of cooperation many times, then how, how do we live as a couple? Can't quite get back to the image of God in marriage that we talked about two weeks ago. Can't quite get there as fallen people. So what do we do now? And this passage, if you look at it closely, provides the answer, and the answer is the gospel. In your marriage, you live out the gospel message in how you treat one another. So if you've got your Bible, let's look at it together. Beginning in verse 22 of chapter 5, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, Paul begins his instructions here by talking to the ladies, and so that's what I'll do. But remember, uh, ladies and gentlemen, as with other portions of Scripture, I'll just give you a warning on this. If it's not written to you, it's not your job to see that other people obey it. Okay? So watch the elbows, guys. Um, (laughs) Men... It is not, it is not, let me underline this for you. It is not your responsibility to make sure that your wife submits to you. You're a husband, that's not your job. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. If you ever, as a husband, pull rank on your wife and say something like this, well, I'm the husband and the Bible says, any sentence that starts out that way, you just need to get yourself a stamp for your forehead that reads fail, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you flunked, <laughs> all right? That is not the way this works. It's written to wives, not to husbands. And men, you are not to set yourselves up as the evaluator and judge of your wife's performance in this area, okay? This is difficult. This is, this is self-denial. This is... For the sake of Christ, I'm going to obey him. It's not about you. Okay? So, men, uh, God did not appoint you personal evaluator of her, and judge of her obedience on this. Okay? So, with that in mind, uh, men, I'll give I'll give your wife the same speech here in a second. All right? Um, but with it, that in mind, look at what the passage says. Okay? Beginning in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And the Greek word that's translated submit is the word hupotasso, okay? Uh, that's, you know, you don't need to know the, 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 the word necessarily, but it, what it means is hupo is under and tasso is put or place, okay? It's, um, it's the idea of putting or placing yourself voluntarily under someone else's authority, Okay? It's a military term primarily in Greek. It's the idea of when you are in the military. Now, I have never had that honor, but if you are in the military, the way it works is this. You sign up, and you are voluntarily placing yourself under the authority of other people. If you're a PFC, it's underneath your corporal. underneath If you're a corporal, it's underneath the sergeant. Underneath this. If you're a sergeant, it's, well, the master sergeant. If, it's, if you're the master sergeant, it's under the lieutenant and the captain and the major and the colonel and the general, all the way up to the chain of the commander-in-chief, right? Jesus is commander-in-chief, and under him is your husband, and under him is you as a wife. Um, but you are voluntarily entering into this arrangement. When you make your vow, you are placing yourself under the authority of God, first of all, and then underneath your husband's authority. Uh, And he gives a reason for that. He says, for, and you can just, if you want to translate that word another way there in verse 23, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, look at this. Look at this carefully. Look at how Paul ties submission to the gospel. Christ dies for the church, and the church is his body of which he is the Savior, right? Everybody understands that. Jesus died for me and my sin, And as a result of that, I, by faith, enter into his body, the church, right? Because Jesus laid his life down for me. And Jesus, therefore, has the right to lead me, right? If Jesus died for me, then he has the right and the authority over me, right? He's God, and he is the person who... Whom I'm to follow because he is my Savior and Lord. And according to, Paul is drawing a connection because according to Genesis 2, remember back two weeks ago, where did the woman originate from? From the man's body, right? She's taken from his body. And Paul is drawing an explicit connection. Jesus, the church. Jesus is head. Church is his body. There's the man, the wife is his body, and she's to follow him because he is head, just like Christ is head of the church, okay? Uh, And that's why, remember back in Genesis, she's taken from his body and Adam says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's literally true in Adam's case. She is his body. And Paul is trying in a post-fall world to redeem marriage back to what it is supposed to be in the garden. And to do this, you've got to have the marriage relationship imitate not Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve fell. They're not, they can't be an effective pattern anymore. But now Paul says, Well, let's come up with a better pattern. Christ in the church. Remember that in, in the fall, in the curse, you have. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over, dominate you. This is not a continuation of the curse, in other words. This is a redemption of the curse. And Paul is giving us a better pattern for relationship than, than Adam and Eve, Christ in the church. He says, you follow Christ. So the wife follows her husband because he is the loving leader. And she, in a sense, is his body, just like the church is the, is the body of Christ and follows its loving leader, Jesus. Okay? So bottom line, ladies, when you get married, what you are doing is committing before God to placing yourself under, the, under your husband's leadership, just like a colonel follows his general. Okay? And I know for a lot of you, I'm just going to say this, I know for a lot of you, the idea of doing this is possibly the most self-destructive thing you can possibly imagine. Because it means, you think, trusting your husband even though he may not lead you well. Now, having been a husband now for 14 years, I can assure you that that is true. He might not okay? I have not always led my wife or family well. Talk to Karen. She can give you specifics, all right? (laughs) All right? Um, And if you have been married longer than five minutes, you know this as a wife. But what if my husband doesn't lead well? He might not. Now, I am striving as best I can to follow Christ and to, and to carry out my responsibility before the Lord in my home with my wife and family as best I can. But even then, I'm not a perfect leader, okay? But let me say this, that apart from highly, highly, highly abnormal situations, this is exactly what God is asking you ladies to do is to follow your husband even if you don't agree with the decision he's making. Now, are there exceptions? Sure there are. My, my husband wants me to become a drug dealer with him. Okay? Don't do that. <laughs> All right? My husband wants me to cheat on our taxes with him. Don't do that. Okay? But within the realm of normal, this is what God is asking of you. And that doesn't mean that you can't ever offer your opinion. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree. But what it does mean is this, is that after all has been said, then you do what, what the Scripture says, which is this, to step back and say, you know what? You make the call, honey. It is not I who answer to God. Okay? Okay. And there is a great, and I've talked to Karen about this. I'm like, how does this work out practically, honey? She goes, well, I do that. And then I, then I say this, you know what? It's your responsibility. It's on you. And she says it's a tremendously freeing thing that I don't have to trust you. I trust God. And ultimately, that's what it's about. Do you trust God enough to do this? It's not about whether you trust this man. I'll assure you, no matter who he is, he is going to disappoint you. He's going to lead you wrong sometimes. It's not going to be a perfect scenario. But do you trust God to lead your husband and to lead your family? If you are both followers of Jesus, this is somewhat easier. But even if you're not, God is still capable of getting to that man. Amen. The God who can part the oceans, who can hang the stars on nothingness, can get to your husband if he needs to, all right? Are you going to trust God enough to obey him and live out the gospel? Because this is really what this is, is living out the gospel. Jesus died for me and laid his life down for me, and he has the right to tell me how I am to operate because he redeemed me, and bought me, and he asks me to lay my life down for him in this kind of a way by following my husband's lead. Now, ladies, last thing before I, this is, you guys get you guys get the short section, okay? We're going to beat on the men a bunch, <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right? Uh, but before I move on to exhorting your husbands to obey, let me give you the same admonition I gave them, that you are not, are, are not in view in the next several verses. And God did not set you as evaluator and judge over his performance as a leader. Okay? What a lot of us want to do is this. We want to take the portion of the scripture that's not written to us and say this. Well, I would be a better follower if you were a better leader. Oh, Yeah. Well, I would be a better leader if you were a better follower. So there. Okay? And where you are is not at the gospel but back at Genesis 3. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. You're not either one of you obeying God in that circumstance. Okay? Each person plays their role. Each team has a quarterback. Each team has a wide receiver. Each team has a tight end. Everybody plays their role right? And when, and when Reggie Wayne plays wide, wide receiver and Peyton Manning plays quarterback, works great, right? You flip that around, not so well, okay? I would use a Bears illustration, but, you know, it's the Bears. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> although they do have a better record this year so far, uh, than my, my, my Indianapolis Colts. But in any case, everybody has a role on the team, okay? The wide receiver does, does the play that the quarterback calls. It works great, right? They make big yardage, okay? Um, that's the idea that's here, living out the gospel. Now, men, tighten your chin straps here to continue the football analogy, and let's look at verse 25 together. Husbands, love your wives just as, now underline those two words, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you want to get to the heart of this verse, men, you need to do two things. You need to circle the word just as, those two words, and uh, underline Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You can translate that phrase just as with the words, in the same way that. In the same way that Christ loved the church. Our love for our wives needs to look, in other words, like self-sacrifice. What did Christ do for the church? He went to the cross. Remember, we taught through... The Gospel of Mark here a few weeks ago, we, we were in the crucifixion. You remember that? We had the scourging and the beating and the mocking and the, finally, the, the crowning with thorns and then the crucifixion and the suffering and then the spearing at the end, right? Any part of that looked like a glorious assignment? No a whole lot of it looks like a sacrifice, right? So when he says, love your wives like Christ loved the church, men, he's not just talking about some esoteric, ethereal, kind of up here sort of thing. He's talking about self-sacrifice, about laying your life down for this woman. About laying your life down for this woman that God has given you. Now, most of us guys, I'll just say this. Most men that I have ever met have no problem with the monster in the house, kill or be killed, them or me, me or the family, take the bullet kind of stuff. Okay? Most men, when their wives hear a sound in the night, do not say, well, honey, here's the bat, go check that out. No. Most men have at least that much gumption. But men, where we have a hard time is this. With the daily decision to give her and the family priority in our time. With the choosing to make time for her rather than time for ourselves. I'll get even specific. I'm a deer hunter. I love to deer hunt, right? And every time that I go, I have to think about this. Have I spent time sufficient with my family that it doesn't feel like I am sacrificing my family on the altar of shooting deer with a bow and arrow? I'm serious, okay? I'd like to go to this football game by myself. You understand what I'm saying, man? This has a practical aspect too. Not simply a giant act of kind of, you know, heroic self-sacrifice if it comes down to that, but to very small daily things. My wife is tired. The sink is full of dishes. Do I love and serve her in the dishes? Or do I say, well, not my job. I'll let her do that in the morning. You understand what I'm saying? Lay your life down for her. That's what it's talking about. And it's talking about romance and continuing to love and demonstrate affection to this woman well past the wedding day. most of us men, uh, you know, to carry the analogy a little further, most of us hunt ladies like we hunt a deer, okay? We go out to a likely looking spot, we find the one that we want, and we cart her home, (laughs) okay? And then we display her as examples of our manly prowess for all to see, okay? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Guys, you can't do that, okay? You can't. The the goal is not the wedding. The goal is the marriage. And that you continue to sacrifice for this person through your entire life. So that it's, it's not just your responsibility as a husband doesn't end with the saying of your vows. It ends with your death when you leave her your life insurance policy and the ability to marry a younger man. <laughs> okay. Um, do you understand what I'm saying? It's a daily self-sacrifice decision to put her needs ahead of yours. Most of us have that, that backwards, and we think that we are first on the priority list and then the family and then the, then our wife but that's backwards, okay? Lay your life down for your wives. Now, Paul carries this out a little further, verse 26, uh, that Jesus did this for the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Um, Paul says that Jesus made this sacrifice for the church to make her holy, to sanctify her, to make us, his people, his body, holy and completely blameless. Um, now, I don't think, by the way, guys, that Paul is teaching that somehow men are to sanctify and make holy their wives. It's not what it's saying. What it is saying here is that Paul is, I think Paul is drawing a parallel between human marriage and and jesus and the church okay um in the ancient world before a woman got married what she did was she took a ritual bath and she wore her best clothes now any of you ladies who are getting married still a good idea you ought to clean up all right (laughs) wear something nice smell good okay but there's a ritual bath that you took before you entered into this covenant with this man, right? Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, as we enter into covenant with him, what do we do? We take a ritual bath called baptism, right? Because And it's a symbol of the covenant that we are entering into that we are declaring that we are going to follow and love and serve Jesus with all of our heart and life, right? And that Jesus lays his life down so that his bride, the church, is willing to make that kind of a sacrifice for him. Hear what I'm saying? Okay. Men, you lay your life down to be worthy of, of what your wife is doing by entering into covenant with you. Okay? Um, Don't have the the symbolism of the wedding gown, in other words, and all of that, all of the purity that that symbolizes. Be simply symbol. You sacrifice for her. Um, No man wants an impure bride, and neither does Jesus. Right. Um, now, let's move on here to verse 28 down to verse 30. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Now, here in these verses, this is what Paul's doing. He's drawing a connection back to Genesis, and then forward to the cross, and then down in another verse, he's going to go back to Genesis again. But this is what he's saying. When the woman is created, she's created from the man's body. And so Paul is saying, look, every husband ought to treat his wife like he treats his body. Now, men, if you get a cut on your hand, what do you do? Probably wash it. You put some Neosporin on it, put a Band-Aid on it, and you watch what you do with that hand until it heals. Right? You treat it with a special kind of gentleness and honor. If you um, if you sprain your ankle, you tape it up and you you walk gingerly on it. Right? You treat it with a special kind of honor because you are you realize that this part is delicate and needs care. And, it, and you make sure that you get adequate amounts of food, right? Some of us, more than adequate amounts of food, right? Uh, some of us, we all love our bodies and take care of them, right? We bathe, we put on deodorant, we sleep, we eat. We make sure that our body is cared for. And if your wife is your body, in the way that Paul is describing, then at a minimum, at an absolute minimum, you ought to provide the same level of care for her that you provide for your own body. Right? You ought to be willing to sacrifice for her the way that you sacrifice for the needs of your body. If your body needs food, how many of us ignore that for like hours? You know, oh, I'm hungry. I think I'll eat like maybe Thursday. No. You're like, hmm, there's McDonald's. (laughs) Right? Why? Because we love our body and we want to meet its needs. Your wife has a need, gentlemen, and you're to sacrifice for her to meet it. Love her like your own body. All right? Um. And, by the way, it's not just physical needs. Your wife has emotional needs. She's a human like you. She has emotional needs. She has spiritual needs. Your job is to provide for all of her needs. Make sure that those are met. Okay. Make sure that she's part of a good church, i.e., like this one. Okay. Um, make sure that she is being taught well at that church like she is here, okay? We do. We have good teaching here. You ain't bragging when it's true, all right? Um, We have great teaching, and not just for me, by the way. We have lots of great teachers in this church, okay? Uh, Make sure that when she needs to talk, that you listen with your face. Turn and look and hear, okay? Don't try to watch TV, and, uh, and and sort of listen at the same time. I can't do that. When we go to a restaurant, I have to position myself with my back to the television. You guys who have been out with your wives, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like you don't. <laughs> okay? <laughs> um. You meet her needs. Because why? Because she is your body. You care for her. In just the same way as you do your body. Okay? And then... Um, uh, in verse 32, uh, he's going to remind us, look, um, I mean, I'm sorry, back in 23, Paul says, look, Jesus and the church, Jesus is the head, the woman is the body. You're the head, so who's the body? She is. Here for her. Because she's your body. All right, now, verse 31. Let's look at this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh he's gone from genesis she's part of your body to jesus just as christ just as christ does the church now verse 31 for this reason a man will leave his father and mother we're back to genesis again he's saying look here we can't quite get back all the way to genesis we're coming through the cross back to genesis And he's calling us back to what was originally supposed to be. You're to be united to your wife. You're to have a unique and special unity between the two of you. You leave your father and your mother's house, and you form a new family. And you are to be one flesh together. You're to have the same kind of oneness and unity and love for one another as exists within God himself. How do you get there? By imitating Christ and the church. Now, and, and I want to look here, at the last, last part of this here. In a post-fall world, this is as good as we get. You look at Jesus and the church, and you follow that pattern. And just as Jesus died on the cross for the church, So the man lays his life down, and the uh, woman follows, just as the church follows Christ. Okay? Uh, Look at verses 32 and 33. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Now, this is a little jarring. If you're reading along here, you know he's talking all about husbands and wives and marriage and whatever, and he goes, and this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What? What? What are you talking about, Paul? And here's what he's saying: a lot of people want to say, "Well, this is an analogy," and see, see, Christ in the church and that relationship is like a human marriage. It's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is the opposite of that: that a marriage is like Christ in the church; that the higher thing, the pattern is Jesus and the church. And of that, marriage is only a reflection and an imitation. If you want to understand this passage, that is the center of it. He is saying, look here. You want an example? Don't go with Adam and Eve. Go with Jesus and the church. And then you'll understand everything that marriage is supposed to be. Even after the fall, you can have a redeemed marriage where there is love and unity and care and self-sacrifice as there was always supposed to be. And now we've got a perfect example of this, perfect example. And then as you look at that perfect example, then you live that out, verse 33. Each one of you love your wife as you love yourself, and the wife should respect her husband. Now, I can show you the good research on this that says this. Ladies, and I'll just do it with you, okay? Ladies, if you have a choice between feeling alone and unloved or disrespected by your peers, which would you rather have? Who votes for alone and unloved? Remarkable. How about disrespected, ladies? Would you rather feel disrespected or alone and unloved? Come on, be honest. Disrespected wins, in a, wins in, a, in, a, in a unanimous decision. Okay, men, let's ask the question—the same question—to you: Who votes for disrespected? How about alone and unloved? Do <laughs> you see what this passage is teaching? Is this is that if a man has a choice, he would rather feel alone and unloved, ladies, than disrespected. And so, what does God in His Word command? Respect your husband. He is going to feel that as love. Okay? And men, did you notice how the ladies responded? Given a choice between alone and unloved and disrespected, they're going to go with disrespected every time as long as they get to feel not alone and totally loved. Okay? Secular research even would validate what the scriptures has to say. Now, we don't look to the secular research for truth. We look to the Scriptures. But I'll assure you that this is true. Men, if you want your wives to feel loved, then you need to sacrifice for them. I'll explain to you in a word how your wife feels loved. You ready? Write this down, four letters. T I M E. (laughs) Okay, write this down. I'm serious. Write it down. Get a pen, write it down. My wife spells love T I M E, time. If you will sacrifice time to be with her, to listen to her, to be involved in what she's interested in, she will feel very loved and treasured. Okay? Ladies, write this down. Don't see enough pens. All right, write this down. How does your my husband spell love? R E S T E C T. Sing it with Aretha. Okay. <laughs> All right. In fact, that song that Aretha sings was written by a man. Okay? Written by a man. Each one of you, respect your husband. Love your wife like you love yourself. Okay? Um. This is, right here, the way to redeem your marriage from the effects of the curse. You're a team. You play your role. And you play your role in imitation of the gospel. That just as Christ shed his blood for the church, and so she follows him. Husbands, sacrifice. Shed your blood, if necessary, for your wife, and she will follow you. A gospel-centered marriage redeems marriage from the curse and puts it the way it ought to be, all right? Um, I wonder how this text applies. Ladies, follow your husband's leadership. Stop going to war with him over decisions. Be willing to trust God, even if you don't trust him. Trust God, because that's really the root issue. Do you trust God enough to be able to follow his plan for your life? Even though the man you married isn't perfect, even though he won't always make perfect decisions, The answer to the question, do I trust God enough to follow this man that he gave me as a husband, needs to be yes, okay? Apart from, again, severely abnormal situations, if you think that you have one, come see me, we'll talk, all right? But apart from that, do I trust God enough to follow his plan for my life? Because this is it, his word has not changed, all right? Some of you ladies, by the way, I have watched you and you are wonderful about this. Okay? You embody the principle that's there in Titus 2 about older women teach the younger women how to love your husband. You're great at this. Okay? So, not everybody needs to feel guilty on this, not even most everybody. Okay? But this is what the scripture says. And if you're a single woman, Before you say, I do, you better ask yourself this question. Can I see myself following this man down whatever road he's going to lead me? And if the answer to that question is no, then at a very minimum, you need to wait on the saying, I do. Because far better, I'll assure you of this, far better to be single and lonely Than married and frustrated, okay? Now, men, love your wives like you love yourself. Don't speak harshly to them. Don't intimidate them or try to pull rank or try to spiritualize your authoritarian tendencies and to say, well, God says, lead them with love. Pursue them. Romance them like you did back when to get them to marry you. Don't put yourself at the forefront of all your thinking and decisions. Sacrifice. Trust God. Here's one for you. Trust God to change her instead of you being worried about all the ways she needs to change. Trust God to be the whole, to, to be. Through the Holy Spirit, present in her heart and life, the force of change. Sacrifice for the good of your wife, and so redeem your marriage from the effects of the curse. If everybody plays according to this, it can be a sweet match. And you can last 60, 70, 80 years or longer, as Lord Terry and you're healthy. This is the way that we redeem our marriages. We live out the gospel in them. Men acting like Jesus and women acting like the church. Who can argue with that? Amen? Let's pray.